calling all Gen Xers. Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. As we take you back to a simpler time of your biggest concern was asking Santa for an Atari or Nintendo for Christmas. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium with all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s. I'm your host, as always, Roy Turner. Welcome back to our 1982 series. You guys have been responding to this so in, so intensely, and I'm so glad. This was the year, man, for me. As a kid, all the video games, music, TV, the toys, everything. And so what is left that we haven't yet covered? In part one, we focused on... The place, the very special apartment complex called Grayback in Little Rock, Arkansas, that we did with my mom and my sister. So please check out that episode. Then we did a 1982 video game live stream on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. We had so much fun with that. So what does that leave? That leaves the movies, a lot of these films I hadn't seen since 1982. But let me put you there. I'm eight years old. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Gen X kid. I'm what is known as a latchkey kid, meaning that I get up in the morning, fed myself, I got myself to school, and I was home for at least almost two hours before anybody came home. And that was usually spent watching TV. <laughs> During the summertime, I was home all day by myself. My sister, Nikki, who was 14 in 1982, and she was usually off with her friends, but we also watched a lot of TV. It was just on all day, like the radio would be on. And, and HBO, Showtime, Cinemax. It was even a thing for a while called Spotlight, if you guys remember that one. That's how old I am. And in a 24-hour period, they would show like three movies over and over and over again. And sometimes I just don't want to leave that world. As a credit to rolling, I've always been very, very emotional about credits. My little boy is the same way. It's incredible. We watch a Curious George movie, and he starts becoming very emotional, just like me, during the credits. So, credits rolling. They'd take a very advertisement break, and the movie would start again. I hadn't moved off the couch in that three minutes. Let's do this again. Let's, let's stay in that world. So, there are so many movies from that year that just means so much to me. Nikki is going to be joining us later on in the program because there's a very, very important film that scored that summer, seeing it over and over and over again together. Can you guess which one it is? Well, think about it. We'll be right back with the movies of 1982. We talked kind of at length about Officer and a Gentleman 
and Greyback Reunion. What made the list are movies we saw at the theater, and back then going to the theater was an absolute event. It was a big deal. I'll never forget that, and I missed that. Or saw on cable that had a, a big impact. We did see the Albert Stern gentleman at the theater and absolutely shouldn't have. That's what I talked about in Greyback was it was kind of like my dad on his visitation weekends would take me to just to see movies he wanted to see. So I ended up seeing some stuff I probably shouldn't have at age eight. I don't realize just how much the world has changed or how much we've changed as people. To all the millions of people Richard Pryor has made laugh. The rich, the poor, the famous, the not so famous. This very dedicated comedian asks you only one small favor in return. Gotta get some bucks. Come see the funniest man in America in an all-new concert film. Richard Pryor, live on the Sunset Strip. Just a couple foul. Get me over. You know what I mean? Richard Pryor talks fire, live on the Sunset Strip. Fire is inspirational. <laughs> They should use it in the Olympics. Because I did the 100-yard dash in 4-3. When you're on fire and running down the street, people will get out of your way. The Funniest Man in America is back. Rated R. Starting Friday at a theater near you. Richard Pryor's Live on the Sunset Strip. I wanted to mention a documentary that I just saw about Richard Pryor. I Am Richard Pryor was done very, very well. I liked who they had in it. It did help me see things in in a very different light. I've always have been fascinated by Richard Pryor. Eddie Murphy is probably my favorite in terms of just who I enjoy the most. But in terms of who just holds my attention, the whole thing, not just his bit, but his whole story, uh, is Richard Pryor. He was on top of the world then. It had a budget at that time of four and a half million dollars of which three million of that was his payment like they were able to make the film for just a little over a million dollars and it did gangbusters man it did like 39 million dollars on such a budget written along with the great paul mooney i mentioned eddie murphy that at the time it was the highest grossing concert film until Eddie Murphy's Raw came out in 1988. Speaking of Eddie Murphy, of course, you know, like I mentioned how um, um, Richard Pryor was on top of the world. Well, this is this is the beginning for Eddie Murphy. He had his Delirious special out. Now he's in the theater with a movie called 48 Hours with Nick Nolte, which was on our schedule to revisit this year. And I'm remiss that we did not get to it. And also primarily because we did not see it in 82. What a lot of people forget is that he did this over a two-night stand, and the first night, it wasn't there, and came back the next night and just absolutely killed, of course. Speaking of comedians, I would be remiss not mention that we originally lost Gallagher. Any Gen X person remembers the guy with the sledge-o-matic and smashing the watermelons and all that. My memories of was were insanely fun. There's something about that that just captivated me. Like, it seemed like such an event. In 1982, he came out with two specials, totally new and that stupid. He had a very kind of hippie, 60s, unique vibe uh, going on. I was shocked as well to learn what a Star Trek fan my wife is. So we had to, of course, revisit Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Solution is Khan. 
a genetically superior tyrant. Exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. In fact, she has never actually seen. Just to illustrate, just kind of what a Trekkie she's not. She's more of the the like she watched a TV show. Like I think she watched Next Generation, but she's like one of these like Babylon, I'm sorry, Deep Space Nine, the Niners they call them, and then all Discovery, and then we watched that show Picard together. So, um, so we watched Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. I remember that again going to the theater. And that being a, a, a big to-do. And, and the comics I was reading at the time were just covered in advertising. Just bathed in advertisement for this film. And I thought it was kind of crazy because it was like, you know, the Ricardo Maltabon from Fantasy Island, one of our favorite shows. You know, the Dap Debonair host of Fantasy Island was like this crazy bad guy that kind of looked like... Um, Oh, I guess actually this came first, but I was going to say they kind of look like David Bowie and, and uh, Labyrinth or whatever it is. Uh, so we tried to watch that, and we got through about 30 or 40 minutes of it, and it was just dreadful. It was just so boring and so bad, and it's not like the Star Wars films. I mean, I'm, I'm a Star Wars guy, so I'm not trying to you know, always you know compare the two. You know, you, you know, it's possible to have a conversation about Star Trek without mentioning Star Wars. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries for their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson. A man with a mission. Oh, gnarly! Linda Barrett, 
not exactly the girl next door. Awesome! Totally awesome! And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on lewds should not drive. Times at Ridgemont High. Fast Times at Ridgemont High this is a film I still probably see about once a year that I own in many different formats. No chance I was going to miss out on the 40th. Happy that the theaters were open again. I had the best time. Place is called Flick's Brewhouse. They actually, they also brew their own beer. In the main marketplace off FM 423, I could do an entire episode, an entire podcast series with just every actor and every scene. It's amazing every time I see it, how much of it occupies space in my vernacular but who hasn't seen this movie man and what's so cool is that my little boy is really getting into the go-go's lately and so you know of course the film opens with that great shot of the, the legendary sherman oaks galleria so many things were shot there one of my all-time favorite films that we'll, we'll be going real deep on next year of course is valley girl We'll take a quick break right now and we'll be right back with a lot more of the films of 1982 while you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Hey guys, while we take a break, I wanted to tell you something about my favorite venue in Texas uh, and maybe the world over. Uh, if you have never been to the Texan Theater in Greenville, which is... Uh, it's you know a little ways north uh, on your way to Oklahoma. Uh, it's a, I guess it's about an hour and a half maybe north of, of Dallas. Uh, it is the greatest venue in the world. The proprietor, owner, and just all around badass Barbara Haran p puts on one of the most unique experiences you will ever have in your life. Uh, she approaches things from a very different business model that I think the whole world should embrace and we would all would be uh, better for it. It's just this amazing uh, experience where you get to see uh, one of your favorite artists up close in a gorgeous venue and dinner is included, uh, unlimited drinks are included. Um, you know, she treats her staff so well, they're not getting the whatever the $2 an hour and relying on tips things. She makes, she takes good care of them. N literally none of them have had to suffer uh, throughout the pandemic, thankfully. Uh, Barb's just a great gal, a great person, uh, very creative and just uh, just one of my favorite people. And so if you're ever in Greenville or even near, anywhere near Dallas, make a point 
to visit the Texan Theater in in, uh, in Greenville. And as you know, we're working on our uh, uh, King's X film project. You know, as you know, I'm a filmmaker myself, and so we'll be should be talking about that maybe in the context of Tribeca soon. Uh, but we will be having the film along with a live performance uh, with King's X there at the Texas Theater uh, as soon as we can get this sucker done. So, so once again, Texan Theater in Greenville, check it out. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. See till later was the last American Virgin, one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, a film that I should not have seen uh, again. When I mentioned earlier, on my dad's weekends was was the Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in 3D, and I can remember we were at some sporting event, like it was like maybe Nikki's softball game, and a big deal was afterwards. My dad's a big horror guy, and to this day, I despise horror because I was exposed to this shit way too early. First Blood, the first Rambo film. I didn't see that till later. What an absolute classic. First film is very special to me, and I love it. The Dark Crystal, Jim Henson. There's a special theater we just called Round Theater because it was literally a dome. They would show one film in this panoramic screen. I remember seeing Tootsie there with my dad. Later, Full Metal Jacket with my stepdad. <laughs> um... The last time it was the Talking Heads stopped making sense film was like on the marquee for it seemed like for years. Kenny Rogers was a massive star, and there was this little movie about him being a race car driver called Brewster Baker called Six Pack because <laughs> his crew was these six orphans that he had unofficially adopted. Already the country's leading recording artist. That's real good, but it's still fat. And a national treasure. Oh, you always had an interesting way of saying hello. Now, 20th Century Fox proudly presents Kenny Rogers in his first major motion picture, Six Pack. You race car driver, mister? Uh, used to be. Might have been again if I hadn't run into you guys. He's Brewster Baker, a dirt track demon whose racing career was going in reverse until he ran into six pint-sized grease monkeys. Hey, turn it over! Hey, Brew, what do you pay your crew with? All day, sucker? <laughs> Kiss off, mister. They're determined to help him. All clear? In their own special way. What did you do to the car in here? Out. Everybody out. We was only trying to help. Hey, stealing is stealing, pal, and I don't want any part of it, okay? Yellow belly, gutless slut. Don't brush up the same mouth you eat out of. No good, do to this thing? Oh, no. Well, look who's back. Mall Barker and her boys. We got no choice but to stick with you till a better thing turns up. Gentlemen, start your engines. 
I'm taking my charges to Atlanta. Cut hundred? Uh, most unusual story in years. It's a grand national race. Brewster Baker, who's been off the circuit, has been burning up the smaller tracks for the last four months with the help of a pit crew of kids. What are we going to do for a car? I don't know. Maybe we could steal one. God, I believe. Kenny Rogers in Six Pack. They're going to steal your heart. I absolutely love this movie. The sheriff, the great actor Barry Corbin. In the summer of 1982, I think I saw the movie Six Pack about 45 times. I I had it memorized. That's torture. Yeah. <laughs> I've got such great memories of it as a kid. You as Sheriff Big John Stone in Six Pack is... Well, that's good. I mean, we did it down in Atlanta. We one of the longest shoots I've ever done because we had snowstorms and everything else. And then we finished it, I thought, and went back to California and was working on something else. And I got a call saying they needed me back for, for two weeks for some reshoots. And so I had to go back and do some more of them. Okay. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting show. And it was the last uh, show that Diane Lane did as a kid. That's right. That's right. And uh, so I, I thought that was uh, that was a big thing to me that uh, that she went on and, and blossomed and, and became the the artist that she is. Right, because because you worked with her before. Well, she was still relatively, uh, I mean, like an unknown at that time. Well, she she'd done some uh, some stuff as you know, a child actor. Right, right. And that she was not. Uh, and she was all my, I mean, she was, I guess, in the, in the mid to late teens when she did that. Right. <laughs> well, but it, uh, it was a, it was not a bad movie. It was, uh, it was, for what it was, it was pretty good, I think. I haven't seen it in years, and I, I guess the last time I saw it was when it was in the theaters. So I, I you know, barely remember the thing. <laughs> Well, you know, it was just one of those things that just really spoke to me. And this is like during the summertime and not really a whole lot to do. And I would watch this thing all day long. I had the dialogue, songs memorized. Such a soundtrack to such a, a great time in my life. Around that time, right after Six Pack, that I started turning down any role that, uh, that the first name was Sheriff. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I was getting stuck in that. You know, I played the sheriff on Dallas and the sheriff in Six Pack. I don't want to just play sheriffs all my life. <laughs> I'm a kind of an honorary Texas Ranger and deputy sheriff for a lot of places, but never actually worked in police work. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. I've been really looking so forward to it. Thanks a lot. Cheers to you, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Kenny Rogers is somebody we also lost. A couple of years ago, right when the whole pandemic thing started. If you guessed the blockbuster film of the year and from, from the longest time, the highest grossing film of all time, E.T., you would almost be right. Because that movie completely dominated. I was eight years old. I would, could not have been a bigger in demographic 
for E.T. I went as E.T. for Halloween in obviously in, in October of 82. If you haven't seen our my 1982 video game stream, of course I had to play E.T., the extraterrestrial, which has its own infamy as being the worst or one of the worst video games of all time. And it's just not, it's not the worst game. It's just an unfinished game. But I talk way at length there, so I'm going to save the, the, the chat about the video game on that. And I hope that you will check that out because we had so much fun doing it. But I think that this was the first time I'd ever had been to the movies multiple times to see the same film. I mean, it just took over. I remember, you remember it like, you know, insisting people call me E.T., this was Steven Spielberg's masterpiece. And of course, and it's set around Halloween. And there's a great picture on our website at tricky-kid.com. Also on our Twitter feed, which is growing underscore 80s uh, handle. And uh, I'm going to post it there of me carving a pumpkin with my dad. in, And, in, and also in an 80s ET, you know, where basically all it is is like a trash bag that kind of looks like E.T. that you, know, you would buy and just the plastic mask you would put over. But I was so proud of that thing and I would I would never take it off. I basically slept in it. Uh, just the memories, just the, that perfect time. The introduction of Reese's Pieces being a, uh, a promotional tool, of course. Uh, it all started there. So, so that's the wholesomeness. And if you can believe it, right next to me playing E.T., the extraterrestrial video game, I don't know how, because there's no way in hell I would have gone to the store. And, you know, my dad's weekend, I would get to, you know, a couple times a year, get to pick out a new video game. These things were expensive, you know, and we were poor. That I would have picked out the unthinkable video game that that should not have been any sort of tie-in to the film Porky's. 20th Century Fox would like to introduce you to Pee-wee and his pals. Speaking of Hardy Mother. Tommy, Mickey, Tim. What's going tonight, right? I don't know. And the biggest man on campus. Why do they call you meat? Because it's so big? When they're not in class, they're into everything. <laughs> But what they'd like to get into most is a place called Porky's. I left my idea. Here, use this one. That's my Bible school card. Unfortunately, we can only show you the outside of Porky's. Because what goes on inside is not to be believed. Boy, the locker room. Oh, it turned me on. We'd like to show you more of the locker room, but this kind of physical education just isn't taught. We can't show you more of the shower scene. Because what they're looking at isn't watered down. They want us to look. They want us to look. Porky. You too will be back for a second look. Hands down, the most controversial 
film of the year, maybe one of the decade. Who can forget, of course, the poster that has the whole voyeuristic shower scene. We did a watch-along of Porky's on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. And I really enjoyed it. A single picture of me playing Atari in the 80s with my Atari collection. And the only game you can make out in my collection is Porky's. Why in the hell was there a video game tie-in to this raunchy, filthy movie that is openly racist and, and homophobic? I had to do some research. There was a version of Porky's. One of the features of the DVD is you get to see pitching the Atari 2600 Porky's cartridge. And yes, I also played Porky's on that 82 video game stream. So make sure you check that out. I mentioned a while ago about seeing a movie at the theater multiple times. Well, she, I can have great memories of her going to see the original multiple times at the theater. Can you guess what we're talking about? It, of course, it's Grease 2. Then get ready for another term at Rydell High with Michelle Pfeiffer and Maxwell Caulfield. and rock and roll in Greece too. My sister lives about two hours from here to show you how important this was and she hadn't seen it since then either. And this movie meant so much to me. They came out with a great vinyl release uh, a couple of years ago that I got for my birth. I think I got it for Christmas a couple of years ago. I actually have it right here next to me and let's see Republic put it out on on and rusted wave uh, as part of the universal music special markets because I mean who else is buying this you know and uh, so I took that and my blu-ray DVD version of the film and drove two hours to see my sister she cleared the house of her uh, you know her children and her husband purposely made other plans so her and I could sit down and revisit such an important part of our youth and had the absolute best time. Even though I had the record, I wasn't going to listen to it until I'd seen the films. I've also been holding on this record, which the inside packaging has so many great photos. It's just, it's just amazing. And lots and lots of great knowledge. This is my conversation with my sister Nikki immediately after we watched the film. 
So not only are we celebrating the 40th anniversary of Grease 2, we decided to do so by actually have a screening of it. And I am so glad that we just saw Grease 2. Uh, it was awesome. For the first time, it like uh, 40, 40 did. I am too. It, it turned out really good. When it started. When it started, I thought, oh no, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> she was came out. She was very cartoonish. She was putting her collar up. And I was like, oh no, and singing. But then it got really good, like I remembered. I thought it was great. When she heard you talking about, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer. Beautiful. I Googled it. She was <clears> 21. <throat> she did her own singing, her own dancing, which I couldn't tell. Now that we can see it through the eyes of adults, that it seemed like that was maybe the deal. Yeah, you can't be in that movie if you don't sing. And she wasn't famous yet. To set this up here, you guys, of course, heard our Grayback reunion where we were <clears throat> celebrating a very special time in our lives and really hitting upon arcs in our life. And there was this series of movies we've tried to revisit, for me at least personally, the two movies that were that year, that were that Grayback, none more so than these two movies that are probably not considered to be critics' choices. <laughs> Apparently, because Grease 2 had the worst reviews a minute ago when I Googled it. Nothing collectively for me <laughs> screams our bond that scored that time more than this movie. That's very Grease true. Grease 2. It is. HBO played it over and over and over. You were obsessed with the original was great. So I was also aware sequels were kind of considered to be shit. Yeah. Especially when it's kind of like a low budget one, none of the original cast returned, but that would not have deterred me at that point. And also people are traditionalists. People love Grease. Mm -hmm. So just the fact that you made a sequel. They're gonna automatically is, hate it. All the times you saw Grease, I never did. This was my introduction to Grease. I love the innocence, why we love this so much. There's gotta be some sort of groundswell of people that are our age that probably exactly. saw it the way that we did and have that connection to it that are eager to review Because why would a vinyl copy of the soundtrack that was never released originally why would this come out a couple of years Who's buying this? Exactly. You know, unless there's people out there that, that love it. There has to be, because I never knew anybody that didn't like it. I think also what I love about it so much is that you actually live an entire school year. Right. In 90 minutes. The most important year of these people's lives that you love and want to be part of that world. It didn't happen in one day. Which is also important. I mean, The Breakfast Club was one day. You feel like you have lived a right. year of your life and you know these people and you have connections to them and I bet, I mean, because I don't remember it having any sort of big promotion. Why did none of the original cast part of it? By 82, when this came out, John Travolta was a big star mm -hmm. and so was Olivia Newton-John. Right. Olivia Newton-John, unfortunately, passed away this summer. Uh, she did. And I wanted to know, did that have any sort of effect on it you did. at all? It did. And you know what? She had a husband that died too. And that affected me a lot, too. I just cared about her. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. It's just weird. But um, I thought that was really sad. Um, but then, yeah, she died, too. So yeah. it's just but isn't it funny getting how older. Yeah. It's like those people, all these actors are dying. And yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis died yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But it's funny how I see I didn't, I didn't remember the Lubau scene, and that's the back cover. It, it's basically like, the end of the movie. Yeah. How did we not remember it's, that part? It's the big film. We don't remember it was a Lubau. I'm going to go through the song here just for one second. So, of course, it starts with Back to School again because it's it's the sequel. They're back in school. Right. And they start with a big number out, out front. 
and then school starts. And but then uh, I, I guess is it really is, it, is the second song already cool writer? No, that's further in. Okay, and then because because there's oh no, I think it is. I think I think she's explaining to him who who like what she wants is cool writer, and then they're gonna bowl and score tonight. Well, no, because remember the guys come out on the track and they say, and, it, and he goes, "We're gonna bowl tonight." And then they start singing the bowling song. I guess song. you're right. Songs that I loved and heard so many times, I almost could sing them for you after not hearing them for 40 years. So mm-hmm. somebody's doing something right that you made. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, but, we were singing along with right. a lot of these songs that we haven't heard in years. But like, and, and I said, if you were to ask me, like, I, I would have probably remember back to it, but the ones I remembered were Cool Rider, mm-hmm. of course, and Girl for All Seasons. Yes. I love it. And then, and then we'll be together at the end. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a second, but... And um, the prowling. Oh, okay, but see, I'd forgotten about prowling. Oh, until, I remember and, that until one. Until then, I was like, "Oh yeah, I did this at school." Yeah, you know? that one's awesome. How they sucked in the beginning, and they got so good at the end. I just remember them sucking in the beginning. I really didn't remember them progressing or, and getting better. Or, and, the and that would have yeah. been lost on me too. Uh, it, it, the one that repeated right. everything he said. And remember, because he's he's uh, Shooter McGavin from. Uh, he's in other stuff though too. Yeah. He's in a lot of movies. Yeah, and I think he, I think he also might have been in uh, in Platoon as well. Also. Uh, do it for our country, of course, you know, the bomb shelter. That was like my favorite, even though it's the most sexist thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, they're basically <coughs> manipulating this girl into having sex with him while his friends are outside the door. Shows you how normalized that sort of thing was. Right. We did a watch along of Porky's. I can't believe they were able to even put that out. Uh, this movie is very horny. A lot of it was very manipulative of women. It- I mean, the idea that he decides who dates who. Oh, yeah. And, and then when they were writing the, the, the movie, I would love to know where... They thought, well, we need to have like a science class where we talk about reproduction. Exactly. Now that one was both ways, a little bit. Some of it was sexist, but they, the girls were just as bad. And then charades. That was that was the song that Michael sings about how he, he it's in his head, like yeah. he's doing a charade. Yeah, I'm down on that. That was always kind of lame. Yeah. yeah, that was lame then. Mm-hmm. And love will turn back the hands of time. That's when he's in biker heaven. Yes. And then of course they're at the uh, at the the rock a luau, but summer is coming. But my goodness gracious, at the very oh, end. Oh, the end makes you cry. And I'm going to cry right now. Like, <laughs> and what was so funny was when I got this record, looking at, trying to remember the songs, I started singing it, and, and who's that guy? And I got to, I go, oh, we'll be together. Because it's like, that's what you want. You want them. How do you not And for her to this? accept him for who he is and not who he's pretending to be. And. She did. And I never, I guess it was also me too that like, okay, so like, I thought that he was just loaning him like a leather jacket. I didn't know, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. He's a T-bird now. Yeah, I didn't get that. Well, yeah, and that that was like the ending wrap up because now he's going to be with that girl who always wanted him to be. He's going to give up this girl and let her have him just because he's so cool. Yeah. 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 Like, like you've convinced me. Yeah. 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 But I mean, but it has that perfect happy ending, and you want them all be together, and you want everything to work out, right. and you want to live in that world, you know. What we did tonight, I am so proud of us mm-hmm. that we set aside to celebrate. We were not going to let <clears throat> the 40th anniversary of Grease two, and I got to be honest, I've been wanting us to sit down and watch this damn movie for way before the anniversary. I just don't know why it never found its way back to me. Yeah, I don't know. know. You know, um, a couple years ago, they had the anniversary of the original Grease, and it was a big deal. Everybody was watching it. I made sure I watched it, Mm. and it just wasn't 
the same. I think it's because I missed Grease 2. That's the one that I ended up loving the most. It is. The fun factor. You're having... And but then when you combine the memories that we have of it, I couldn't get enough of it. That's something special. It is. It is. So I am very proud of us that we did this. The celebration of 40 years of 82, all those great movies that, that, that shaped and scored such a special time for us. Again, want to thank Nikki, want to thank Barry Corbin, uh, and thank all of you for tuning in to this very, very special, very personal episode for me about the films of 1982. The holiday season is beginning tomorrow, is December 1st. I hope you have an outstanding, wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, I've had so much fun revisiting so many things from my favorite year as a kid in 1982. Thank you for joining me and have a wonderful holiday season. And we'll be right back. We'll be back with this series. But next time, it'll be 1983. Come on back. Growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast. It's also the title of a forthcoming docuseries currently in production, directed by our host, Roy Turner, chronicling real events in his personal life of growing up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premier party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at Growing Underscore Up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests.